This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Keith Whitten in the Bishop's Castle in Shropshire in the UK. Welcome, Keith. Thank you, Sam. Nice to see you and hear you. <laughs> so how are things going in your bubble? Uh, well, we're not really at bubbles yet. Um, we're still... Uh, sort of lockdown um it, it, we had this sort of seven week proper lockdown where you know we were quite seriously locked down they've sort of started releasing that but it's been quite muddled um but anyway we're we're getting on as, as uh, ourselves you know we're, we're we're coping with with the situation as everyone else is i think so you're in bishop's castle tell me about bishop's castle yeah, well, Bishop's Castle, we're very fortunate here. It's a very small town, one of the smallest towns in Britain, quite remote, right up on the on the Welsh-English uh, border. Um, pretty high up. It's, uh, it's about 800 feet above sea level, a uh, very steep hill up the middle, tiny population. I think we're about 1,800, and that includes the sort of farms around it. Um, and um, it's a very strong community. We get on really well. It is like a bubble. We've always said, actually, way before this, that, Bishop's Castle is a nice little bubble of its own. And during lockdown, you hunkered down at home and looked yeah, outside. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, it's not to, to avoid the, the the virus ourselves, but in a sense, you we wanted to make sure we weren't going to be carriers if there was a chance of that. So we took ourselves out of the equation very much. Uh, really didn't mix with anyone, so we we managed to get online shopping sorted, even though we're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, We've, um, you know, we've, we've been okay, actually. Um, the community have been absolutely brilliant in terms of um, vol- volunteers, very very quick to organise. So if you need a prescription from the doctors, someone will sort it, it, it within 10 minutes of you asking. Um, and so it's actually been quite good. Um, and the weather here has been fabulous, which has made life a lot easier than it might otherwise have been. Makes the outside more inviting. Well, the, the funny thing here, because we're right up on the Welsh border, um, our nearest supermarket is over the border in Wales, our nearest big petrol station is over the, over the border. And, you know, if I have the chance, normally, I go walking in the Welsh hills, you know, I spend an hour at the most driving, half an hour driving to the Welsh hills. Well, we, we can't do it. It's completely locked down in Wales. Uh, there are police all over the place prosecuting people for travelling in. Uh, and it, it's a really strange situation because they've re- re- relaxed some of the travelling for recreation uh, rules in England, but they haven't relaxed them in Wales. So <laughs> I, I go for a walk on the hill, and across the way is the hill I normally go walking on, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> it's taped off. It's weird. Now, you are 
Amongst other things, a musician. And the first of the songs that we've got today is one that you've recorded, Beneficence of Spring. Uh, Tell me about that. Yeah, well, the first thing we noticed um, when lockdown happened was all our musician friends were suddenly out of work um, and were doing live things all the time, you know, Zoom this, conference that, you know, just trying to sell their music, which wasn't really going to happen because... No one's buying anything, but we didn't really want to do that. We didn't feel like that. So we sort of, we'd been playing a lot just before lockdown. So we, we sort of stepped back a bit from playing, but still very frustrated about not having anywhere to play. So um, I, I just found that having this extra time and being out in the countryside a lot made me allow creativity to emerge. I, I wasn't having to sort of squeeze creativity into a couple of hours that I had that night. And this particular bit of music had been sort of formulating in my head for a while. And it sort of came together organically, genuinely. So I, one day I was out in the old woodland up on the hill, a beautiful old ancient uh, medieval oak wood. And the birds were fabulous. So I took a recorder down, and um, a, a tape recorder type thing, and recorded Birdsong at Dawn on May the 1st. And it's so lovely hearing it. And I sort of wove this piece around it. Um, and then I put it up online as people do. Uh, this is only a couple of weeks ago, and it's sort of been picked up locally by radio stations, and it's had quite a lot of airplay already, which is <laughs> weird, you know, it's really strange. And I'm getting all these lovely comments, and people are buying it off band camp, it's madness. <laughs> Thank you. 
I grew up in Cornwall on Bodmin yeah, Moor, and yeah. that took me straight back to the the woodlands around Lanhydrock. The woman on Shropshire Radio, she said, it, it feels like you've just been hugged by the Shropshire countryside. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about how the communities pulled together. You're pretty active in the community. In fact, I saw that you were in the news the other day for cancelling the fair. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very active in the community. I, I chair Community Partnership, which is sort of like the town council, but it ha it's a much broader brush thing. And it's looking at the long-term strategy for the town. I'm a school governor. Um, uh, I'm also chair of the Michaelmas Fair, which is in September. And we hung on as long as we thought we could. But to be honest with you, next month we're going to have to pay the insurance for the fair. And if the fair is not going to be on, that's a lot of money to waste. So we had to make a decision. So we decided we, there's no way we can run a public event in September. We're not going to be out of social distancing anytime soon. And public events are just not on. And the Michaelmas attracts thousands of people to town. It'd be impossible to try and segregate people out. It'd be too much of a risk. Um, so very frustrating. In terms of, sort of community response, I've been a a back room player here because i've been pretty much in isolation um so i've not been one of the front front um of house sort of volunteers but what i have done is sort of um used my sort of web knowledge and whatever i we turned a facebook group which was on events into a community response group because it it was the largest local facebook group it had about two thousand people as members and there's no events so it seems stupid to keep that page and rather and also stupid to try and set up a new group and, and track people in and it's been brilliant um we've waived the rules you can talk about anything really on there um and people do um it's quite a buzz at the moment really um and there's numbers on there you can call if you need a, a volunteer to help you with something i'm also keeping a a, a sort of list of all the shops and services that are, are still open in in one way or another and, and what's fabulous about that is that our, lots of our little small traders um, are um, changing what they do um, to survive. So they're they're into delivery. So I, I'm I'm here. I am. I'm drinking Shropshire cider in front of you here. Sam. <laughs> this has come from the Long Min just up the road. And the guy who produces it, he normally you go to his his shop and you buy it from him. He's now delivering it, leaving it on your doorstep, and you pay him online. And those are the companies that are going to survive this. So it's lovely keeping a list of them for everyone. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou Hope you're all having the best day, beautiful, amazing superstars in your beloved universes. And I really, really hope that this time for you has been a wonderful, wonderful illumination of who you are, a triumph of nature's art connected to all life throughout time and space forever in an infinite web and here as the product of literally billions of years of co-evolution on this paradise planet with new gifts to share and constantly learning and teaching and contributing with each breath and each thought and each feeling that you communicate and how wonderful that we can have this time together 
So I thought that it would be a wonderful opportunity for us to really connect through time with our beautiful ancestors and examine why many of us, including myself, are finding these transitions from level four to level three to level two quite tricky because as a species of animal, and in fact through all permutations of our evolution, we have been driven by the desire to bond and connect with one another. And this is a very deep and primal urge which we all feel. And so in this time of being asked to keep our distance and having wonderful colourful objects painted and displayed on the surfaces that surround us to encourage this distancing. A very core aspect of who we are and how we like to be is being challenged. And of course, for us as a species, when our instinctual nature is challenged, creatively, we always problem solve and come up with some wonderful solutions. So I have been enjoying interpretive dance as opposed to hugging and gesturing and indicating that I am still expressing my love and communicating my love through psychic hugs and a wonderful series of gestures which can be mirrored if other people choose to as well. So I think we are developing new ways of being even if it is somewhat tricky for us and if we journey back through time we see that life has always been attracted to life and billions of years ago when we were just these single-celled organisms and we only had to think about ourselves we were limited in terms of what we could do and so by forming multicellular organisms and each cell taking on a different role to support the multicellular organism, we have been able to do so much more. And of course, with 50 trillion cells ourselves, we are a shining example of cooperation and communication and specialization. And I know for all of us that we've had to be working in different ways, those of us that can be working from home, and I'm still working from home. So I am finding new ways to do my work and new ways to specialise and still feel that sense of connection with my students, the 150 schools around Otago that I interact with, And of course, I'm very lucky to get to interact with all of you. And I still feel that connection at a distance with all the beautiful life forms at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary that really inspire me, like the beautiful tuatara and the beautiful kāka. And we're so lucky that in this time, as we've had this profound journey within, all the life around us has continued to flourish And we've seen more and more of that living, natural, real world return to our constructed human worlds. And so I was very happy to hear today that our wonderful Prime Minister is speaking about a four-day work week. And if we can make this work for us, how wonderful it will be to still have that time and space for ourselves outside of 
our working schedules. So there's a lot of exciting change around us and there's a lot of shifts that we're needing to make at this time so that as a very large-scale multicellular organism we can function really well and really healthily together. And I love knowing that all around us at all times life is seeking life and so even if we are having to distance ourselves we know that just by smiling at each other and gesturing a hug we know that we still want to connect and we still do connect and feel that love that unites us all so i hope that you're all having a great day and i'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakite. when i almost came to visit of course i was looking up where i was i was coming to the town's got an interesting history yeah very very ancient town um it, you know, I said it's a border town, so um, it, there's castles everywhere you look. What's left of castles, you know, little mounds and things like that, because the Welsh and the English were, you know, in dispute, battling all the time. It's called the Welsh Marches. Um, it's a very ancient word, really, and the borders changed all the time there. So, you know, it, it goes back into antiquity. The castle here was, was built, you're going to catch me now, I can't remember the exact date, but it's, it's before 1100. Um, and the town was set up, you know, as a castle town. So it has these burgage plots, these long strips of land, and it's still like that. It's a very, very quirky place. It really hasn't been modernised in any shape or form. It's it's got a real medieval flavour to it. <clears throat> but no castle and no bishop. Well, yeah, there is a, there is the remains of the castle. In fact, actually, most of the castle, um, the brickwork, the stonework from the castle, it was a big castle. It was. It was built by the Bishop of Hereford to protect his lands around here. So it was a, a proper big medieval-looking castle, but it got knocked down in the 1600s, 1500s, 1600s, and because uh, Bishop Hereford gave up and he moved away. And the stone was repurposed and used by the locals. So the front of my house, the bottom part of my house, is in this lovely stone, which came from the tower, which is literally opposite where, I, where, where our front door is. Oh, wow. And there's nothing left of the tower, but it's in our, it's in our wall. <laughs> Does it make your house a... Is your house protected? Uh, well, yeah, Bishop's Castle is a weird little quirky town. I shouldn't be saying this uh, on the radio, but I don't think anyone from English Heritage is going to hear. We have, uh, we think our house goes back to the 1500s. It's timbered, it's timber frame. It's been an inn all its life till the 1930s. Um, but it's not, it's not protected. It's not a listed house in, in Britain. Buildings of any antiquity are listed, so that you have to get special permission to do anything to them. Ours isn't. A lot of houses here have slipped through that, which is great. I mean, it doesn't mean we're going to mess it up and do rotten things to it, but it makes it so much easier to live in a house that isn't listed. Why do you think it's got such a strong community? I, I, we've been thinking about this for a long time. It's a strange little place. People, are, There's a, two groups of people here, townsfolk who've been born and bred here and, and their families have lived here for generations. But since the 60s, this has been a place where I, I guess hippies originally sort of left-leaning people, the artistic, the musician-type people drifted to. It's on the Welsh borders. It's very remote. It's beautiful area. It's, you know, it's a long way from anywhere. There's no motorways within 30 miles or anything like that. We haven't got a train station. It's, it, it, it's very remote. And it, it just developed this reputation of being uh, an artistic town full of sort of tatty buildings. It's not 
prissy it's it's quite you know bohemian i think is the word I, you possibly might want to put to it if that means anything um and i i don't know there's something about being in a small town that's remote where people have the same generally the same political leanings where people just feel very strongly part of that community and it, it's it's been you know the people who lived here all their life are very welcoming to new people coming in because they see that these new people bring in ideas they bring in energy they bring in some money for tradesmen and so on and as long as you're prepared to, to sort of genuinely be part of the community you're welcome with open arms here it's, it's a fascinating place and that led to the the sorts of community responses you you saw perhaps the that's that feeling totally. of community. It's interesting that, yeah. that one of the things that's strongly coming through all the people we're talking to is that feeling of community, even though people aren't actually able to get together as community. Yeah, it, 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 you do, it's, we had a really funny incident yesterday, Sam. Um, bear in mind, we're supposed to be sort of pretty much in lockdown. There was a huge articulated lorry that took a wrong turning. He was following sat now, and now dear, you, you, you should know better. And he went down this street, and someone saw him go down. They said to me, oh, there's going to be trouble. And he, we know at the bottom of this very steep hill, this Castle Street, it's right by the old castle, he tried to turn right into Welsh Street, as it's called, and there's no way he could get around the corner. And he got completely jammed against the wall of the house. He didn't do any damage, but he knew he couldn't get out of it. So he called for rescue. Police fire, ambulance came. This is about half past 10 in the morning. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they managed to pull him out. And as they were pulling him out, everybody went out because he'd been on Facebook. Everyone knew it badly. And there must have been about 50 people out there, all keeping their social distance. But it, it was so exciting. It was the best thing that happened in seven weeks. It was like a little festival. When the lorry went up the hill, everyone was like, yeah! <laughs> so there was your opportunity there was your opportunity yeah. to set up your band and yeah, yeah, serenade them yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so it was spontaneous and it was one of those rare occasions at the moment where the community is coming together <laughs> one of the things that we've been noticing is that the idea of kindness has got legs yeah is that something which is, is happening there yeah i'd say so i i you know, it, it, to get serious about what we're trying to do as community response, this is this has enabled us through a grant which came because of the, the situation. It's enabled us to set up a food bank. Now we've wanted to set up a food bank here for a long time. Uh, it feels like a quite a wealthy place, but there are you know there's a, num a load of people here who need who are in, in desperate need. And normally, you know, and in this particular occasion, far more than than you would normally expect. And so we set up a food bank. We've had such generosity, people donating food, donating money, the local supermarkets are donating food. That food bank is now serving about 50 people a week. Um, and these people are in need. And what's happening also is it, it, the people who can't get out and who are very isolated at the moment, they're finding out about it. And we're finding out about people who are very isolated older people in many cases and that's the worry about this because we're all on conferencing and we're getting by and we've got the internet and everything else but there's a lot of people hidden in our community older people lonely people who are extremely isolated so we're really as a community trying to trying to think how we can reach out to these people but you're absolutely right i mean the kindness is amazing um people offering this offering that it's just lovely we met a few months ago 
digitally through yep. your cousin, my colleague uh, Jean Ross, with her nursing students. That's right. Doing a rural practice at a distance module, and they had yes. she had, they had their students working with your community. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I mean, I've been, you know, Jim and I have been talking about this for about a year um, and it sort of developed. Ironically, she asked me to write a paper for the Scope Journal, which I did. <laughs> feels a bit feels a bit funny now because it was on community resilience and sustainability and, and the whole bugger. <laughs> we just, you know, it's just completely and utterly gone to pot now, you know. Um, and actually, what, it, what the project's done, because the, the students presented through Zoom about a week before lockdown and it engaged a lot of local people they they listened to the things that the students had discovered they discovered very incisive things about the fact that we have high rates of um uh, suicide mental mental health issues and that's before lockdown there's there's been quite a, a nasty large incidence of male suicides young 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 men 18 19 20 more than you'd expect for a small town um, and there were very other, various other things, social isolation, which we've just mentioned, obesity, people not eating properly, perhaps not getting fresh food as much as they could. There were things like this. And the community that came to that meeting said, right, we don't want to let this go. These students have come up with this amazing amount of research over three or four weeks. We need to build on this. We need to now have a plan how we're going to try and tackle some of these things that they've identified. And of course, immediately, we said that we're into this lockdown position where it's all gone haywire but it, it's making a lot of us think that what we should be doing now is even though we're nowhere near the end of this this crisis we need to start working on a community uh, recovery plan because we need to do it now because we need to start quanti- we need to start documenting what's happening now we need to start keeping notes keeping measurements of how many people go to the food bank all that sort of stuff we need to to keep that research that sort of actual research going through this crisis so that when we get to the other end of it we can then look at how we can build our sustainability look at how we can build on what the students said um and so that's the sort of project which we're trying to start off here it's it's with for example the festivals all all the festivals have now been cancelled and they bring in a lot of money to the economy so we've decided we're going to work together as the festivals to try and quantify what the loss is from not running those festivals from a financial point of view first-hand money but also from the economic point of view what it might have brought in from secondary sources and also the sort of social um uh, loss that's come through it because we need to sort of have some sort of measurement of how bad this has been to try and get back to where we were and maybe improve on where we were i was, I was going to say is it a recovery lots of people are talking yeah. about regeneration rather than recovery. Yeah, I, I think this is, a, you could look at this as an opportunity. I mean, nationally, I don't think it will be because the, the political power, powers that are in there, I, I can't see them embracing climate change opportunities. They're still talking about building this high-speed train, which is costing billions of pounds, which, you know, I'm being a bit political here. Why do you need a high-speed train when I can talk to you in New Zealand quite happily? Uh, and most people are working from home, you know, who can work from home. Why do they need to travel from London to Birmingham 10 minutes quicker than they could have done before? Anyway, that's another matter. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, climate change is a huge one, which we're learning about. It's fabulous air quality around here at the moment. But it's also things like 
the shops, I mentioned the fact these shops are changing. They're, they're starting to deliver to people. They'll, they'll be able to do that in the future and they'll get more money for doing that. They'll get more economic uh, clout. And importantly, I think we're all starting to see the value of buying locally. Um, and that's really important um, because, you know, it, it might cost a little bit more to go and buy your milk from a milkman who delivers to your doorstep, but it's a wonderful thing. And people are, people are really appreciating things that we used to have sort of many years back that we've lost um, and perhaps not wanting to go miles to the supermarket by a car. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hello there, Bubble People. Liesl here. Hope you are having a great day. Um, I am. I'm having a wonderful day. And I think for the last few days, we've just had such incredible weather. Uh, of course, every day is different. So Dunedin Noyes delivers us special treats. Even if it's been lovely in the morning, we can't always guarantee that the afternoon will be exactly the same, can we? <laughs> One of the joys of living in Dunedin, that um, things are ever-changing. But um, I think what I love is the sort of as we move into the sort of winter zone, we're just getting those gorgeous sort of crisp mornings starting to happen and beautiful blue skies and I am loving this. And as part of my sort of lockdown routine, I was getting up early to try and have a walk before the day sort of started. And um, I've continued to do that, which has been an amazing, cool thing carrying over from lockdown experience. Uh, Actually, a few nice things like that. Mm, I wonder if you've got some of those things too that have sort of carried over from what you've what you created during lockdown, and whether those things have sort of carried over into your life now. Um, interesting to just sort of note what sort of what's held, what's what's continued to happen. So for me, it's these walks every morning, which I just love. And one of the things that I try to capture is the sunrise, which is just. Um, I don't know, I'm a sunrise chaser I guess, even though I really struggle to get out of bed in the morning, but uh, as soon as I can see the light coming through those curtains, I am wanting to get out of bed and get to the sunrise, <laughs> so I have a, I have a, um, almost like a, a mechanism that is overriding the fact that it is freezing and that it is still a little bit dark and that I'm tired, and that bed is warm. Yep, all those things get overridden by this desire to capture the sunrise. So out I go into the morning, and um, I have really enjoyed the way that um, actually I've been able to get some beautiful sunrises. And I love the fact that every morning that view is the same, and yet it's completely different. And it doesn't matter whether it's a little bit grey around the edges or even foggy or low cloud. Um, even even in those sort of like situations where I look out the window and I think, ah, oh, probably not a great sunrise this morning. Still, I can be absolutely astonished when I sort of get to, I usually go down to the harbour and uh, take photos there. And by the time I get to the harbour, um, I am just always amazed there's something about light and water and clouds that all come together and even if the cloud is so low that it's touching the water and sun is nowhere to be seen it can be absolutely just dazzling and uh, 
It starts my day with a bit of a smile. And I've got to say, that's one of the things I've also noticed about people around the place at the moment. I'm feeling like we're smiling at each other a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe it's just because for me personally, I'm smiling quite a lot having come out of seven weeks of uh, not seeing many people. (laughs) I think whenever I see a human being now, I'm just like, a human being, hello. So um, I'm maybe putting out a lot of love, but I think... I'm sort of feeling like people are being kind to each other. I've, you know, I've gone to cross the road and I've waited for cars and cars have stopped and waited for me or, you know, there's been really kind things happening where I've felt like people have been seeing each other and, you know, by that I mean that they're actually aware of of each other's existence and, you know, you can walk past someone on the footpath and feel like, Neither of you know the other one is there, even though, of course, you're both aware that the other one is there. But there's no acknowledgement. But I feel like there's just that little bit more, um, yeah, eye contact and smiling. And these are huge things. They make people feel like, yep, they are there. They are. They have been seen and that they are alive and someone's noticed them. So it can go a long way if you see someone out and about just give them a smile it's a wonderful way to make friends and it's a lovely gift that you give people so I take my sunrise and I try to package it up into a smile that I try to keep giving out for the rest of the day and I think if we all do a little bit of that uh, we're going to be okay so keep up the great work out there look after yourselves keep smiling take care talk to you soon so of all the changes you've seen, the societal changes, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Well, I just mentioned some of those. I think, you know, shopping locally, having locally sourced food. Um, we, one of our collaborators, which uh, who wrote um, uh, another paper for Scope, uh, is Daphne, uh, Daphne Ducross, who lives the other side of town from me. Daphne's very interesting. She was living in London with her husband uh, and she's Canadian by birth but she, and she grew up on a farm and she's been writing, uh, she's just been doing a doctorate on local food production and she decided that her husband didn't particularly need to live in London because he's an online programmer and she's writing about food, local food production but living in London so they bought a market garden up here a couple of years back and they've moved up here and they're now running this market garden and they're running it not necessary to make a profit they're running it to try and give local people the chance of having good quality local food and of course Daphne's thoughts were all here about getting ready for Brexit because if there's going to be food poverty when we leave the EU because that's still thought it might happen she was trying to gear up for that and of course this has come along in the meantime and she's had to scale up her production overnight and she's now supplying food vegetable boxes for a huge number of people in town. She's gone into partnership with a couple of other market gardens to make sure that they've got capacity. They're supplying the food bank for, for free. People are sponsoring veggie boxes to go to the food bank. And I think, so I think local, local food, local shops and services, which have died out a lot in a place like this, less travel, I think are brilliant. I, I think the days of cheap air travel are probably gone. Um, and that's going to be interesting for people. I think people will have holidays at home far more. 
And I think a place like Bishop's Castle is going to be getting the benefits, if you like, of tourism. Um, I think more people will come to places like this in the future. One of the things that sustainability has always had to to fight against is that argument that oh, you want me to go back to the caves. You want me to give up on all of this stuff? And the, the response has always been, no, no this is a, a better life, not a lesser life. And yeah. reco- recognising that there are people doing it really hard in this, there's still that element of, actually, maybe this isn't so bad after all. Absolutely. It's interesting when you look at, you know, initially, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, um, but initially, uh, immediately lockdown was declared. You know, there was this shortage of loo rolls, which was just crazy. (laughs) But further on now, you can't get, you know, you can't buy a webcam for love and money because they're rare as anything. So people are valuing digital technologies. But the other things you can't buy in Britain are things to, to do home baking. So you can't get flour. This is rare as hen's teeth. You can't get yeast. You can't, you can't. You couldn't get eggs. And you know, it's because people are sort of rediscovering things they they've lost. And you know, my kids have never baked before, but they're doing banana cakes left, right, and centre. Now I think they'll carry on doing that. You know, they've learned skills which they probably didn't think about before. Um, it's the, the, the craft skills, things that people have got time to do now. Hopefully they'll stick, and I think people do value things that take, as you say, it's a bit hard doing some of these things. It's not easy as watching telly, but actually because it's hard and you have to persevere, there's more value in it. And as we saw with the dig for victory and the the long tail that that had on on gardening after the the Second World War, maybe some of these things will stick. Yeah, gardening's the other huge one, absolutely. I mean, it's fabulous weather, as I've mentioned here, but... You know, a local gardening company was delivering before they opened up garden centres this week. Um, and their delivery was, we can't get it to you for a month. <laughs> you yeah. can't buy seeds on that. You know, everyone's just doing it. It's amazing. And there's lots of people swapping plants and things like that around at the moment here, which is lovely. Let's take your second piece of music. Again, it's one of yours from your four-piece band, The Flying Toad. Why is it called The Flying Toad? Okay, well, we play a tune, and there's a pub in Dublin called The Flowing Tide, and everyone sort of calls the pub in Dublin The Flying Toad, and it sort of stuck, and we did the sort of bit of a humorous name we came up with. It's been it's worked quite well for us, I think, really. Um, and so it's quite... I, I wanted to play this particularly um, because literally just before lockdown, it was St. Patrick's weekend, and we were on a big tour. It's our big, being an Irish band, Chad Irish band, we do very nicely, thank you very much, out of St. Patrick's. We did a four-night tour of the south of England, big sort of art centre theatres. Um, and, you know, it was pretty well sold out, even though we were coming to the point where people knew the lockdown was coming. And our last gig was literally the last night that theatres were allowed to be open. And we sort of said to the manager, are you sure you want us to play? And he said, yeah, 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 God, yeah, we want people to come out and see you and everything else. And it felt very strange. And uh, we played, and this was in Southampton, we played the gig. Val and I got in the car about 11 o'clock afterwards and we drove all the way back to Bishop's Castle. It was about a three-hour drive. And that was the last day we went outside. <laughs> that, that was the, the day of lockdown. So we haven't seen the Toads since, apart from online. Um, and it's it's a strange Strange old position, so there you go. So this is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, yeah. 
Have you always played in bands? Yeah, for quite a long time. Um, of all sorts. <laughs> and so um, at the moment, the Flying Toads, we don't play as much as we'd like because the other two guys live in sort of Surrey, Hampshire area. It means we don't get to see them as often as we would like, perhaps. But then again, when we do see them, we tend to get gigs that are parts of tours and are really nice. So it's quality, not quantity there. Val and I, my partner, um, play in a duo, or we used to play in a duo. God knows when we're ever going to play in a duo again. But, um, and we play locally all over the place. And that sort of folky covers that Carol King, that Cindy Lauper, that sort of stuff. Uh, Val's a very good singer. Um, but we play with all sorts of people. We run Irish sessions up here, trad Irish sessions. Because everything we do around here in England is based around pubs and small theatres. And and those are going to be a very long time opening. Um, and it, it worries me greatly because, you know, the pub culture is a massive thing for communities in, in the UK. Um, I don't know how many pubs are going to die as a result of this. It, it's it's quite frightening. In a place like Bishop's Castle, the population of about 1,800, we've got six pubs. Um, I know one isn't going to come back after this because they've used it as an excuse to close. I, I'm worried about the others, you know, I'm really worried about it because these pubs go back um, to the Middle Ages. I and mean, the pub opposite us is the oldest licensed brewery in the United Kingdom. Um, it's, it was found, well, it got its license to, to brew in 1642, around the time of the Civil War, and the brewery hasn't changed. It's, it's still that Elizabethan building. And to, the thought of that not coming back again is, is, is pretty tragic because these are the centres of the community, you know? Yeah. Okay, so I have some questions to end with. Of course. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Okay, well, you know, apart from things like grandchildren, which are, are wonderful successes, but they're not personal in terms of me creating them, we've um, we've had some really good results from from bidding. Um, last year, the Michaelmas Fair, I led a bid, and we won twenty thousand pounds to create to build to to buy um, a, a stage, which is purpose-built to cope with a one on one in eight hill which is what we have in our high street <laughs> and to fit in front of the town hall and planning that thinking about it bidding for it winning the bid commissioning it erecting it and then seeing it being used at last Michaelmas was awesome it, it really was unfortunately it's now sitting in this storeroom and it, it can't be used for the time being but i was gonna say it, it'll we, it'll we, safe we, to be waiting yeah, it's sitting there waiting. We bid it as a community asset, and the idea was that this summer it was going to be up every weekend, and we'd have kids on it and all sorts. But hey, you know, that's not happened. Um, so that, that's a big success, and I, I, a little success is that piece you played, that beneficence of spring, because that was a success without it meaning to be. You know, it was something <laughs> I didn't plan, and that's actually quite nice having successes that you didn't plan. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Our team of people no. doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that got you there? Um, goodness. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've always had a, a strong social con conscience. I, I was a teacher for years. Um, there's no individual, I would say, as a hero. I'm not really into heroes. Um, but it's that, it's that feel for 
other people that compassion you have i suppose is is if you've got to pin it down to something that i i i, I really do feel that very strongly that you know i'm very fortunate but there are other people who aren't and you know it's that desire to try and level it up a little bit i guess um do you consider yourself to be an activist yeah when we had the bbc doing um a, a crazy report for television local well it's west midlands television um they spent a day filming we were we just created the start of an elephant sculpture trail don't ask um and they were talking about bishop's castle and um the um presenter wanted to call me a community leader and i said oh god i'm not a leader i I'm, you know um and, and she said what, what what are you and i said community activist without thinking and I, yeah that's exactly what i feel like it's trying to get other people to do things in many cases it's not to lead necessarily it's trying to trying to empower other people to realize what they've got to offer rather than actually do it yourself necessarily building elephants <laughs> yeah well bishop's castle um uh was the home of clive of india um in the 1700s he he was extremely corrupt if you look at his history he wasn't well liked around here this was a rotten borough he bought his way into parliament to avoid being prosecuted for um corruption um if you were a member of parliament you were <laughs> free from being <laughs> prosecuted and so he bought his way into bishop's castle which is a tiny little place um but he built lots of buildings so he built our town hall and he built the old market hall which is where that square is i mentioned and in that market square is this beautiful statue which was the crest of the earls of paris which has a rampant elephant and a unicorn and it dates from 1790 and funny enough when the bbc from west midlands were here the the, the presenter was indian and she couldn't understand she just couldn't comprehend why there'd be an indian elephant sitting in the square <laughs> at this beautiful remote little bit of england dating to 1798 and i said well it's because we've got a shared history and they were fascinated by that shared history so the elephant is sort of part of bishop's castle psyche somehow <laughs> so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning um lots and lots of things probably um and I, although to be fair i've not been get, getting out of bed in <laughs> i would normally be doing that. <laughs> uh, what motivates me the moment things like the, the, the absolute beauty of the countryside motivates me i do not want to stay in bed i want to be out there in it um i absolutely love a project so producing that music was a driver you know learning is is a real motivation for me trying something new experimenting taking risks when you're experimenting and learning and it's also about it's a you know helping others i suppose but what do i get out of it i I like the organizational side of that. I like having an idea and I know it's a good idea and then seeding it and seeing what people's reactions are. That's a fabulous buzz. So, yeah. Yeah. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? God, well, obviously getting out of this mess <laughs> we're in is the first challenge. It really is. Um, a serious one for me, which sounds sort of wrong, is to try and drop some of the things I've been doing over the last four years because the trouble with Bishop's Castle is if you're a doer, you get sucked into all sorts of things. And I've loved that. And I, it's never been, you know, something I've, 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 I've resented because I've got into the community so well. But it's now quite hard 
to get out of it. So, for example, Michaelmas is wonderful. I love it's this big fair we have in in September. I absolutely love being the chair of Michaelmas. I've done it now. This is my our fourth year. But as one of my friends said to me, he said, "What's your what's your um your escape plan?" And he's absolutely right because there's no one who's coming up to take over. Uh, and so a, a real big challenge is how we keep things like that going uh, without me and the other group who've been running it. We need other people to come in. And so we've got some interesting ideas about how that might work. But it is quite a challenge, actually. Mm-hmm. Doing less is a, is a real challenge at the moment. If you want to get something done, you ask a busy person. So you've just got to find another yeah. busy person. Yeah, absolutely. The trouble is that all the busy people are busy. and. <laughs> What we need is some younger people to take over um, because you need new blood coming into this sort of stuff. And it, it, in a small town, it's not easy. It'll happen. Um, but it's that business of succession. It's really important. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Goodness. Stay happy. Stay positive because there's a lot of there's a lot of mental anguish at the moment, a lot of anxiety. So don't look at the news very much because it's driving everyone mad here. I think it's designed to make you panic. Um, don't look at Facebook that much because it's exactly <laughs> the same. Um, enjoy the new opportunities that these situations bring because there are some wonderful opportunities through this. That's sort of the advice of the day for me at the moment, really. And I, 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 there's a comedian over here called Stephen Fry, and I, I, right at the beginning... His advice, I think, has actually been, I followed it without meaning to, and that's do things slowly. You don't have to run along at the normal rate you do because you're in a rush. Take your time over doing something. You're going to cook a meal at the moment. Just relish putting the ingredients into a dish. Take hours doing it because there's such enjoyment in doing that. And also, your day gets filled up so much quicker. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining me. Lovely, Sam. It's been lovely to see you again. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Keith Whidden in Bishop's Castle in Shropshire in the UK. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.